Hello, this is Dean Hess, editor of Respiratory Care. Welcome to the July 2017 podcast. In our editor's choice paper, Wheeler and colleagues assessed the initial response to high-frequency jet ventilation in premature infants with hypercapnic respiratory failure. They found that lower postmenstrual age, improvements in capillary PCO2, pH at one hour, and a reduction of FiO2 were associated with good response to jet ventilation. These data might identify patients who are likely to benefit from jet ventilation in the neonatal intensive care unit. Carpe notes that, although there is still much to be learned, studies such as this help to identify preterm infants who can benefit from jet ventilation. Moreover, this may help to identify early the infants who do not respond to this mode of ventilation. Vernon et al. surveyed respiratory therapy faculty to evaluate their knowledge and attitudes towards interprofessional education. All respondents recognized interprofessional education as an important component of respiratory therapy education. However, significant differences in knowledge and attitudes towards interprofessional education existed between faculty and associate versus baccalaureate and master's degree programs. Revisiting current accreditation standards may allow interprofessional education to take a more prominent role in respiratory therapy curricula. Becker and Shell point out that, although the rationale for interprofessional education does not appear to be questioned, the greater challenge is how to implement it into practice. Educators need to develop strategies to overcome barriers to its implementation. The objectives of the study by Shelley et al. were to assess the prevalence and types of education provided to subjects who use a meter dose inhaler, to determine the prevalence of MDI misuse, and to determine if any associations exist between the education method and the participant's ability to properly use an MDI. They found that, although most participants received inhaler education, inhaler misuse was very common. No associations were found regarding method of education and proper inhaler technique. Faulkner appropriately points out that it should not be the norm that many patients misuse their inhalers. The device that is intended to alleviate symptoms, manage pulmonary diseases, and improve quality of life. Liu and colleagues used an in vitro model to investigate factors that might affect the PEEP effect and compared performance among three devices for high-flow nasal cannula. Mouth open or closed, gas flow, and simulated respiratory system compliance were the three major influencing factors of the PEEP effect. A performance difference between devices was found at higher flows. The incidence and risk factors for cardiovascular collapse after unplanned extubations in the pediatric ICU was studied by De Silva et al. Of the 847 subjects, 109 unplanned extubations occurred, with 21 subjects experiencing cardiovascular collapse, of which 10 required resuscitation. The authors concluded that cardiovascular collapse was a frequent complication of unplanned extubations, particularly in the youngest children. They suggest that bundles to prevent unplanned extubations might reduce morbidity related to these events. The objective of the study by Grosu and colleagues was to determine whether thickness of the diaphragm changes after intubation 
and whether the degree of change affects clinical outcome. Although most subjects had evidence of diaphragm thinning, the authors were unable to find an association with the outcome of extubation. Thickening ratio or other measurement may be a more reliable indicator of diaphragm dysfunction and should be explored. Brunette et al. evaluated the performance of preserve and RESP scores to predict death in subjects with severe ARDS receiving extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. The clinical usefulness of these scores was limited because of their relatively poor performance in predicting death in subjects with severe ARDS receiving ECMO. These scoring systems should be tested in large prospective studies of subjects with severe ARDS undergoing ECMO treatment. Mikesell et al. used an electronic monitoring device integrated into a high-frequency chest ball compression vest to measure adherence compared with self-reported adherence. Greater adherence to the vest was measured directly by the monitoring device and was associated with better baseline pulmonary function and fewer exacerbations in the pre-study and baseline period. Adherence decreased with age and prescribed therapy time and increased with therapy assistance. Self-report overestimation is large and thus not an accurate measure of adherence. A simple model was developed by O et al. to measure the exponential decay in airflow during forced exhalation to quantify the extent of dynamic airway obstruction and facilitate the detection of obstructive airway diseases clinically. They reported that flow decay distinguished subjects with obstructive lung defects from healthy subjects. This is a straightforward representation of spirometry data that provides a reproducible index to quantify dynamic airway obstruction. The aim of the study by Schliff and colleagues was to assess inspiratory muscle performance during incremental exercise in obese men after aerobic exercise training using the inspiratory muscle tension time index. They found that in obese men, aerobic exercise at ventilatory threshold could induce significant improvement in respiratory muscle strength, maximal exercise capacity, inspiratory muscle performance, and decreased dyspnea perception. Although the use of cisatrocuroneum in severe ARDS decreases mortality, whether this is cisatrocuroneum specific is unknown. Current et al. compared outcomes in subjects with severe ARDS treated with cisatrocuroneum versus atrocuroneum. The use of atrocuroneum versus cisatrocuroneum within 72 hours of admission was not associated with significant differences in clinical outcomes. The purpose of the study by Chen and colleagues was to correlate airway parameters of COPD determined by low-dose, high-resolution computed tomography with pulmonary function tests. Their results suggest that airway parameters in different gold COPD stages have no uniform correlation with pulmonary function testing, but some high-resolution CT parameters are correlated with some PFT parameters. Though percutaneous dilational tracheostomy is considered a safe procedure, it is not considered suitable for patients requiring a permanent tracheostomy. 
Folkler and colleagues investigated long-term outcome parameters of percutaneous tracheostomy. They found that decannulations after percutaneous tracheostomy are easily done and complications after percutaneous tracheostomy requiring a transformation to a surgical tracheostomy are rare. Elective surgical conversions are not necessary. Christensen et al. describe a tracheostomy closure device that facilitates the use of non-invasive ventilation, improvement of pulmonary function, and vocalization in the newly decannulated patient. The biosafety and feasibility of the device were evaluated in an animal model. They found that this device is feasible and biosafe in an animal model, but the design and quality of the materials need to be improved before clinical trials. This month we also publish a year-end review on inhaled drug therapy. To receive the contents of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues. Thank you.